Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. If you really want to lay hands on a house and make it perform better, you kind of have to get out of, I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician, I'm an insulation person. You actually need to look at the house, come up with a strategy, an integrated performance strategy. I think we're at a very early stage of a transformation in terms of how home contracting is getting done. And I think it's going to be much more responsive to the need of the end consumer as opposed to the OEM and the distributor. Hi, everyone. You probably know that buildings in the built environment account for 40% of our emissions and about 40% of our energy use. There are a lot of bright minds working on this problem, but it's a tricky one. In the residential market, homeowners are often reluctant to take on renovations, and when they do, they usually lack the information and contractors they need to consider the advantages of energy-efficient, climate-positive options. Now, imagine if all homes were rated based on their energy efficiency and environmental impact, and that that rating influenced their financial value. Imagine if that rating also included recommended retrofitting strategies. Different ballgame, right? That's the world that a startup called Pearl is trying to build. And I have to say, I really love the systems change approach that could shift incentives and behavior in real estate. In this episode, I'm joined by Pearl CEO and founder, Cynthia Adams, as well as one of her investors, Lou Schick, from Clean Energy Ventures. We talk about Cynthia and Lou's extensive experience in the built environment and real estate markets, Pearl's growth and potential, how the space will evolve in the future, what we need to do to get there, and much more. Enjoy. Lou and Cynthia, welcome to Invested in Climate. So great to have you here today. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Great. Where are you each dialing in from? I am dialing in from Southwest Colorado, a mountain town called Durango. What about you, Luke? I'm sitting just outside of Albany, New York in, in upstate. Okay. Both have snow on the ground still? I think it's gone finally yesterday. Uh, yesterday. <laughs> My yard is practically, practically melted. I think that there are still some piles here and there. And certainly if I drive 10, 20 minutes out of town, the mountains are covered. We had a really great snow year this year, actually. And in Colorado. All those atmospheric rivers from California came our way afterwards and got colder. Well, glad we could help. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's dive in and just start with some introductions for our listeners and would love to hear just about your company, your role, and why you got involved in climate work. Cynthia, would you like to go first? Sure. I've been working in the residential built environment for almost 30 years. I've remodeled homes, I've built green homes, I've worked as a lead AP, I run energy efficiency and renewable energy programs. So this work that I'm doing has long been a passion and near and dear to my heart. 
my advocacy and interest in doing something about climate change is very much connected to the time that I spend outdoors and seeing the beginnings of that devastation play out in front of my eyes, whether it's bark beetles and tree death or fires or melting of the snowpack quicker, causing issues with the salmon and their ability to navigate streams due to low stream flow later in the season. I mean, there's just a whole host of things that I could talk about. But for me, climate change is real and very, very apparent in the natural world. So this intersection between the built environment, the home as a sanctuary, is very much tied to its energy use and its impact on the broader environment. It's not a big stretch or a leap for me to kind of move from my interest in working with homes to the connection to its impact to the environment and climate. Great. Thanks, Cynthia. And maybe just quickly introduce your company and your role. Sure. Happy to. So back in the Obama stimulus days, I began to notice that buildings which had LEED and Energy Star labels on them, these buildings rented for more, they sold for more, they appraised for more. And I have to say that those labeling entities were very clever in that you would get additional points if you had these kiosks in the lobby that explained the high-performing features of the building and why you'd want to work there or live there or what have you. And the real estate community and the property managers got very savvy about talking to prospective tenants, buyers about these features and the benefits that these buildings came with. We didn't see a corollary on the residential side, and that became the opportunity that my co-founder partner, Robin LeBaron, and I decided to seize. If we had a third-party certification that was working for all types of building stock, but targeting specifically the existing home, there was an opportunity to make the data on those performance features available for a future buyer, real estate agent, lender, appraiser, inspector, what have you. And in doing so, allow that homeowner to accrue equity value for having a high-performing home. And the goal here is really to create a market-based mechanism that drives the energy transition by providing a very compelling incentive for homeowners to make these types of upgrades in the form of this additional equity value. Thank you, Cynthia. Lou, how about you? Tell us about your company, your role, and how you got involved in climate work. I'm with Clean Energy Ventures. I've been with the team for four years. We are a climate-focused venture fund that is not afraid of hard tech and software, but our basic organizing principle is we want to support companies that have the potential to make a really big impact. And we do that by saying they they can avert two and a half gigatons of CO2 equivalent GHGs between now and 2050. The team was founded out of an angel group of essentially really smart folks that have built companies. And I was lucky enough to join a few years ago. And we've got, I think, 22 investments now. And we're very excited about our opportunity to work with Pearl. That's the company. My role is, I think I have title director of investments, but basically I am sort of the bridge between how does the technology work and how does the market work? And can we figure out how to coach up and give support for companies to be as effective as possible as quickly as possible? Thanks, Lou. Given that Pearl is part of your portfolio, I'd I'd love to hear more about your investment thesis and how you approach identifying and evaluating potential investments and opportunities across climate tech and ultimately what led to your investment in Cynthia's company. 
We have a fairly broad remit. The details vary a lot, but the overall idea is that we're very focused on identifying really talented teams that are doing something that we think can be very impactful. And in particular, I've been looking at climate stuff since the 1980s. I actually got into an argument with my grad school friends where they were trying to fight investment in Star Wars technology. And I was saying, we need to be doing climate and was nearby when Cornell founded the Green Party chapter. But the first thing that I was excited about ever since I tuned in on this was the built environment is where the impact can be the biggest. It can impact people's lives and it can impact costs, but it also has a significant GHG impact. I've been looking at energy efficiency for a very long time. And I think what Cynthia and the team brought that got us me in particular, but all of us very excited about it was that we all knew energy efficiency was important, but it was a sort of opaque and inaccessible to normal people who wanted to make their house more comfortable, more efficient, perform better. And Cynthia had put together this team of really smart building scientists who were trying to, and I think have done, made it accessible to find good contractors to make sure that you would get stuff that worked well for you and be able to monetize it, not worry about exactly how many dollars a month am I going to save on energy efficiency, but it will pay for itself because the house is just more attractive. It's worth more because it's better to live in. Great. Cynthia, did he do a good job depicting the opportunity? Tell us more about the business opportunity you see with Pearl. Pearl's core value proposition is that a third-party certification of the high-performing features in one's home can help you add equity value. But the way that we get to that certification is through a multi-sided platform that includes apps that the certification app that a contractor or a builder might use, and then a consumer-facing portal called Green Door, wherein a homeowner can access their home's record, they can update their home's profile, they can learn about new improvements, and there's many other things that they have in terms of tools within Green Door. So for us, the business opportunity is not just let's go out and certify homes, but it's how do we animate an ecosystem of stakeholders who care about the home, its data, and future transactions. And so that can be any trade contractor that touches energy or water efficiency or energy production or resilience. It can be lenders who work with contractors or with homeowners to help finance these types of improvements. It can be insurance companies who have a vested interest in that house standing up and standing up well over time. So I think that the business opportunity for Pearl, there's a lot of upside, given that we sit at this intersection between new construction, home improvement, energy, and real estate. It's a very exciting place to be. And there are a lot of different revenue models that kind of spill out of these different customer segments and their needs with respect to the home. And what about from a climate impact perspective? What's the impact you're, you're aiming to create through certifying buildings? We have today in the market a lot of really awesome technologies that could make a very big difference in the quality of life for homeowners, as well as lowering their carbon footprint. The problem is homeowners don't really know which of these technologies to start with. There's a lot of confusion, I think, in the messaging, both coming from the vendors as well as from the contractors themselves on what homeowners should be doing. So for us, the certification And this connection of this ecosystem between contractors, builders, appraisers, real estate agents, homeowners, et cetera, is really meant to accelerate the energy transition by accelerating the adoption of these technologies in homes. Helping homeowners understand, again, that it's not just about 
this alphabet soup of letters and numbers of performance characteristics like SEER and ACH and AFUE and other things. It's really about my quality of life. It's about my indoor air quality. It's about my comfort. It's about my ability to afford, own, and operate this home. And ultimately, it's about accruing value to my home. So there's this sort of flywheel effect, not only in the market where you are creating more certified homes, you're bringing more visibility to them, but you're also bringing this educational layer for the homeowner that helps them understand why they want these features in the first place. And that's not just a monetary benefit. It's a quality of life benefit. That's great. You mentioned that there's many stakeholders involved and it takes a multi-stakeholder approach of including contractors, real estate professionals, builders, appliance makers. But of course, it begins with consumers and understanding what consumers want. So I'm curious, what have you been learning about consumer demand so far? Who is your target market? How do you reach your customers? And what evidence are you seeing that demand for this is growing? That's a great set of questions. So I'll start by pointing to a number of surveys that have been done by very large entities who have a vested interest in doing business with these consumers. The National Association of Realtors publishes an annual sustainability report where they ask real estate agents about the value of advertising energy efficiency of the home at resale, and where they also ask real estate agents about buyers' interest in sustainable, energy-efficient homes. And we see well over half of the real estate agents say that advertising efficiency within homes is valuable to the listing, whether that makes it sell faster or sell for more or both, and that the majority of their buyers are actually interested in energy efficiency. And that particular report shows that the percentages of homeowners who are who fall into these buckets or home buyers is pretty much the same across regions. So whether you're in the Northeast or you're in the South, you get a, a very same answer from the real estate agents, which I think is interesting. Secondarily, I would point to a recent survey that Angie, the sort of consumer contractor platform, has published, where they were polling consumers about what improvements they expected to do within the next five years, what major home improvements. And for the first time that I have seen an HVAC upgrade made the list, as did solar. Now, typically HVAC upgrades are what we think of as 911 calls. Something breaks, the homeowner's freaking out. It's like the worst day of the year for it to happen. And the contractor is coming in. For people to move their attitudes around heating and cooling from a grudge purchase to something that they're actually planning for, I think is really remarkable. And then the third piece of data that I'll point to is from a home remodeling value report that Zonda, a statistician firm that works a lot with new construction recently published, where at the very top of their list for improvements that add value to the home was electrification of HVAC. It had 103% payback for the homeowner. So that's what the macro trends and the people who are studying them are saying about consumer demand. I will tell you that our experience is that homeowners and home buyers are very interested in these things, but they don't have the language really to talk about it. Do they want comfort? Sure. Do they want to save money on their bills? Absolutely. They think, by and large, I need to replace my windows. <laughs> they don't understand what types of improvements give them the biggest bang for the buck or what other types of benefits they might see from making these sorts of improvements. And by and large, we have found that real estate agents could do a lot better job of talking to them about it. And so could the contractors. So 
we believe that there is a very important role that Pearl can play as this translation layer, again, from the types of features that are in the home and the performance characteristics to that speaking the consumer's language and that quality of life that they're looking for that the high-performing home can give them. Thanks, Cynthia. Lou, this is something that as an investor, you're surely paying attention to as well. I'm curious, what else are you learning about consumer interest in retrofitting their homes and investing in clean energy products to have a lower impact on climate and probably lower bills in the process? I've been exposed to the space in a variety of ways for a long time, and there's some kind of overall trends. One of them is that just as Cynthia said, the experience that people have is that it's so complicated that they don't want to tinker. It's not broke, don't fix it. And what that resulted in was my furnace broke, my air conditioner broke, my water heater broke. I call up the local person and they put that thing, a newer one back in. And that that's how people interacted with it. And it wasn't because they were delighted. It was because they were kind of not aware or confident that they could do other stuff. I want to share a brief anecdote about when we rebuilt my house about 15 years ago, and I wanted to put in a ground source heat pump, which is a weird thing. And most people still don't know what they are. And I'm not sure, by the way, it's what everybody needs. But basically, it's a heat pump that Especially uses- 15 years ago, you were an early adopter. Oh, yeah. Well, when I was teaching high school 30 years ago, I was trying to convince my students that they should get their parents to do it. So it's a very old technology, actually. But this is the point. There are technologies, there are new technologies and they're getting better all the time, but there are technologies that were much, much better than what we were doing as standard building stock. And the ecosystem issue was the problem, right? The contractor can't do something that the mortgage people don't want to do, that the insurance people don't want to do. The homeowner can't do something if those people aren't confident. But the anecdote was basically, I wanted to get a ground source heat pump. And my wife said to me, Lou, if the heat goes out in the winter, I'm going to be really angry at you if there's not a good service contractor. I mean, this is very fundamental. This is a very basic emotional stuff for people, not irrational. When I say emotional, I don't mean in lieu of fact-based. I mean, emotions matter a lot. I want to be comfortable. I want to be safe. I want predictability. But to the point that Cynthia made, the number of different kind of fossil fuel cost shocks that are making it hard for people to stay in their homes is becoming more frequent and they're unwilling to keep living that way. And they're looking for alternatives. And to the extent that the ecosystem can provide, I can give you a solution that will make you comfortable, that you can afford, that will pay for itself and that will work and that you will have support. That I think has been a virtuous cycle where you're starting to see a lot of people saying, I really, really want to electrify. I really, really want solar. I really, really want to do a variety of things that are going to mitigate my risks, but improve the performance and comfort of my house. And having major kind of recalcitrant stakeholders, the contractor networks, the insurance people, the real estate people saying, no, this is the right thing to do. I can help you do it. And pulling that together, I really think it's a magic trick that Cynthia and Pearl have really accelerated. We're seeing it just as described. If you just watch the chatter, normal people are saying, I want to do these things instead of what the heck are you talking about? Thank you, Lou. You're the first person I've spoken to who installed a heat pump 15 years ago. And so your experience here is really noted and appreciated. So, Cynthia, it was really interesting to read that Pearl's early days began with a partnership with the National Association of Realtors, and that partnerships continue to be a vital strategy for you. Tell us about some of the partnerships that are really key to your growth at the moment, and who else you envision partnering with? Sure. So you're right. The National Association of Realtors was an important first partner for us. I want to underscore that the the reason for that wasn't 
just because we saw them as a channel to market, we also saw them as a gatekeeper. If the real estate agent poo-pooed the idea of a certification and basically said it was irrelevant and it made no difference at resale, then we were kind of dead in the water. (laughs) And similarly, on the contractor side, we went as a B2B go-to-market strategy because A, talking to consumers is really expensive, but B, if the consumer then went to their contractor to the real estate agent and those professionals said the certification was worthless, then again, we'd be dead in the water. So we really had to stand up these different relationships kind of all at once. And NAR was a really important piece of that. The Appraisal Institute is another important partner for Pearl. We have our own independent appraiser council that is made up of appraisers and understanding how they think about things, what their challenges are, is important for us to ensure that we've got products and services that speak to their needs, again, so that we can deliver on this brand promise that Pearl's certified homes actually do sell for more. I would be remiss in not mentioning that we've done multiple independent appraisal studies that have shown a 5% premium on homes that have our certification. So we know it works. Other important partners for us, though, are also tied to the contracting space, as you might guess. Ferguson Ventures made an investment in Pearl last year as a strategic investor, and we are getting ready to launch a national Ferguson Fast Track program, which will be for their HVAC contractors and also have a pilot program for their plumbing contractors for high efficiency water heaters. I would point to other manufacturers that we are in discussions with or we've already begun working with, like Lennox, as important scaling partners for the contractor vertical. Other than the private industry partners, though, there are, of course, lenders. And importantly, with the Inflation Reduction Act, we are looking to state energy offices and localities that need to stand up their own residential energy efficiency programs as a result of the federal largesse. And we want to be a good partner with them, whether that's in the form of certification, consumer education, contractor networks, et cetera. Cynthia, clearly your process offers some great insights to a homeowner's retrofitting needs, and you even create a home investment plan for the homeowners. So it's seemingly that position you really well to move into helping homeowners with the next phase, financing the work, finding contractors, buying new appliances, completing the upgrades. Is that part of the home improvement process something Pearl will eventually get into? Absolutely. In fact, I would say that with a number of things that you cited in that list, we're already there. Within Green Door, a homeowner can start their journey. By the way, Green Door is free for any homeowner. And if you get a certification through one of our network contractors or builders, you automatically have a Green Door account that you just need to go into and it's pre-populated with the information the contractor has shared with us. But if I'm new to Green Door today, anyone on this call could be greendoor.app. There is a rebate finder, which will help me understand what rebates are available today from either manufacturers or utilities or others in my local market. You can create a home investment plan that is customized based upon your home's age, its heating fuel, and your goals as a homeowner. In Green Door, we also have a maintenance widget. We have a linkage with build.com, where if a homeowner wanted to go and purchase, say, an energy-efficient faucet or lighting or other things, they can do that through build.com's e-commerce site. And we do very much have a vision of becoming that one-stop shop for homeowners, where I understand 
all of the opportunities to lower the cost of my upgrade. I understand exactly what my upgrade should entail. I have service professionals who can make that. I have a lender who can help me finance it. And ultimately, I have that certification at the end that's going to help me capture the value, turning the home improvement into a home investment with an ROI. Lou, the built environment and energy efficiency markets are clearly something that you've studied a great deal. And so I'm curious, as an investor, what else are you excited about in these spaces? I was just thinking about when Cynthia mentioned LEED and the conversation about doing this for commercial buildings in New York City about 15 years ago, we were talking about what's the value story and did people really believe it? The first thing is that people are starting to believe I can do these things, they will work and I like them. So the fundamental thing is the customer base, both commercial and residential, no longer feel disempowered. They feel empowered. The biggest trend right now that I think we need to really think through, and there's huge opportunities here, is electrification. A lot of us, I had oil delivered to my house and it actually had it leak out and make a big mess and I had to dig up my front yard. Oil heat should go away. Gas heat, we shouldn't be expanding. We should probably be shrinking. And if you're paying gas bills right now, you're definitely in agreement with me. You really wish you had an alternative. Everybody wants to electrify. And I think that there's a whole set of tools from mature existing technologies that have been around for decades to ever more high performing, more flexible kind of tools. And so as an investor, we're looking at what does the ecosystem for electrification look like? How do we make sure that the service providers and the technology will give good experiences and good value to people. And then I think there's a whole multi-generation plan of improving that performance. But the big overarching thing is electrification is coming and it's good. And the greener the grid gets, the more goodness comes from electrifying. That's great. You know, we've covered uh, home electrification, building electrification in several episodes and agree it's a huge opportunity. And there's a huge amount of activity, both investment and entrepreneurial efforts. But I'm curious, where are there gaps? Where do you see there just not being enough entrepreneurship or innovation happening where you're hoping that more entrepreneurs will step in? From my perspective, we were talking about electrification, so I would double down on that. I think it's what we talk about frequently as the last mile problem. The technologies exist. There's probably a number of financing programs out there that could help homeowners cost-effectively afford much of this. However, many trades need to touch a home when you're going to electrify it. You may have to upgrade the panel. You may need to redo your wiring. You have your HVAC. You may have an orphaned hot water heater, so you're going to have to electrify the water heater. There's all kinds of issues. And the older the home, probably the more complex those issues are and may require a lot more remodeling work for the homeowner to actually do that electrification. So the homeowner, I think it's unfair and unrealistic to expect them to become the general contractor of their own job. And what I think we need are, and what I'm seeing actually, are new contracting companies stepping into the space, either coming out of solar or HVAC. And the idea is that they will specialize in electrification. They will manage the different trades. They will schedule the different trades. They will help the homeowner go through this remodeling process in a way that I don't know if I'd use the word delightful because it's messy and you're going to have a lot of people in and out of your house. I know because I'm kind of in the midst of my own version of that right now, but it's doable. And the results on the back end are fantastic. But homeowners need a lot of handholding. And I think in particular, they need help not only navigating the improvement landscape, but also the rebate stacking, the financing and the rest of it. And 
we'd like to be a big help for them with that, with our software platform. I imagine others are going to step into the space, but it's more than knowledge. It's that last mile problem of actually getting the work done. And we need more companies stepping into that space to take ownership there as well. Thanks, Cynthia. Lou, what do you think? At per usual, I think Cynthia articulates it very clearly. I want to expand a little bit on this because I think when I first started dealing as a homeowner, it would be that an individual contractor would show up with a truck that they were leasing and, and they didn't have anything. They went to their distributor for financing. Their distributor told them what they could install and what was the new, new thing. The sort of tools available to the contractor base in terms of training and money and the like were pretty limited. And what had happened was it was a relatively mature supply chain where everybody made a little bit of a cut and they did the same thing they did yesterday. And that was rational, but not helpful. What I've seen happen in my area is that my plumbing contractor and my electrical contractor, some of them went away and there's much bigger local players that have many trucks and many people who can perform the work. They do their own thinking about what good technology is. And just as Cynthia said, if you really want to lay hands on a house and make it perform better, you kind of have to get out of, I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician, I'm an insulation person. You actually need to look at the house, come up with a strategy, an integrated performance strategy, and you don't want the homeowner to have to general contract that. It's in principle hard to do, but these handoffs between the trades, scheduling the work, making sure all the pieces work together, it's tricky. As you start to see the people who are performing this work become cross-functional, one of the things I'm really excited about is those people, I think, are turning around and they're looking for people to help them. I'm a great plumbing and electrical contractor, but I don't know how to do solar and tap into the NYSERDA subsidies. I really am excited about entrepreneurs that are saying, how do I take this much more capable contractor base and give them the tools to do really good work faster, more efficiently? From the contractor standpoint, it's I'm going to get much more conversion from quotes to orders, and I'm going to get happy customers who create referrals. And from the consumer standpoint, it's going to be my experience is that I paid a fee for service and I got value that I can trust. And I think that there's a whole lot of ways to tap into that ecosystem. Some of it is software, some of it is training, some of it is kit and making sure that it fits into how these people are now working. And Pearl sits at a real nexus and has convened a lot of the important players. So I think we're at a very early stage of a transformation in terms of how home contracting is getting done. And I think it's going to be much more responsive to the need of the end consumer as opposed to the OEM and the distributor. Following on briefly with what you're saying there, Lou, I know that we've been having some really interesting conversations with the National Association of Home Builders about what role remodelers might play, because they typically are GCing multiple trades when doing that type of work. And I think that the energy efficiency community has largely been talking about energy analysts, building energy analysts, HERS raters, et cetera, as being the ones who might GC. They do that audit. They come back with a list of improvements that might be done. I'm not sure that the sort of energy engineer types, which are doing these types of modeling, are really the ones that want to step into the space of managing multiple contractor trades. They're getting paid, their callbacks, and everything else. So I'm kind of curious to see how our remodeling community might step into the space and provide some helpful services as well. You both have been talking about how this market might evolve and seem to have a sense of the future where we're headed. Lou, you said that we're in the early stages of a transformation. I'd like to jump into the future, squint and see into the years ahead and really understand from your perspective what it looks like. 
We've talked about the need for electrification. We've talked about trades and technology evolving. What does it lead to? When you look five or 10 years out, how will this space be different? I'll answer that question in two ways and with very much my pearl lens on thinking about the future. One way, I believe that we're going to see a lot more of what had been the holy grail a decade or more ago, that the home is the virtual power plant. You have your battery storage, you have your EV charging car, you have your solar on the roof, and you have your own sort of home microgrid, if you will. That's really exciting because of a whole host of different reasons. But I think this sort of taking your own energy use and production into your own hands as a homeowner and not feeling so exposed to the risk of rising energy costs or power interruption or things like that is really exciting. The second thing, though, that I think I would expect to see, and I think we need to see, and it's certainly the main mission of Pearl to make happen, is that the data on the home has to be making its way into the multiple listing service and into a future appraisal. My anecdote has to do with a homeowner who found us after he had gone through two failed appraisals in a refi where he had his Tesla power wall and he had his expensive panels up on the roof and all this other stuff. And both of the first two times he got zero additional value for these expensive home improvements. He was researching certification, thinking that that might be a way to help the appraiser understand what it was that he had on his house. He found Pearl. We certified his install. $30,000 was added to his home's value at the third and final appraisal that he got, this time using our certification. You can look at an MLS today. There are homes that are in there that have solar. There's no information about whether the solar is owned or leased. There's no information about the power production for those panels. And if I'm a buyer and I know that my power bill could be offset by 50%, 60%, 70% because of the panels on there, that's meaningful to me. But right now, this information is by and large absent in the MLS, which is a really important tool for helping appraisers assign contributory value through these comparative types of analyses that they do. So I would expect to see that this information on a home's performance characteristics is out there. I could go to Zillow and I could do a more comprehensive search and find these types of high-performing homes because it's a very, very bad customer experience to make these expensive investments and then turn around and see no value on the back end. And we need to solve for that. Thanks, Cynthia. Lou, what about you? You described that we're in the early stages of a transformation. What are we transforming into? As markets get mature, they tend to fragment and you get little highly specialized people that do a thing really efficiently and effectively. But when you change what they do, the systems are very, very brittle. They're not adaptive. We, I think, have recognized that and Cynthia and this cohort of folks that are changing things are trying to fix that. So the, the end state should be as follows, right? As a homeowner, a low and moderate income homeowner, a wealthy homeowner, someone who lives in an apartment, someone who lives in a freestanding home, as a homeowner, you should have a clear understanding of what you expect from your home in terms of performance. It should be comfortable. It should be safe. It should be something you can afford. And then when you go and you interact with the world, the people who sell you things, the people who install things, maintain them, finance them, insure them, should all be speaking a similar language about how do I take your home as I found it and make it a higher performing home? And I think that Cynthia's point about the visibility of the data, the training and capabilities of the trades to work across the traditional silos, 
And then the products that are responsive to, I'm not building a walled garden where if you buy this heat pump for your water heater, it won't talk to your heating and cooling system. All of those things can talk to each other and people should end up with comfortable, resilient, safe homes that are less expensive to run and much, much, much lower environmental impact. And the contractors shouldn't be tearing their hair out asking, why are you a crazy person who wants this weird thing? They should be saying, I can help you. I can do a great job and I know how to make money doing it. Let's take a step back for a second and hear from you both really on the big picture for climate. And from a climate standpoint, really understand what is it that keeps you up at night? Cynthia, you've talked a lot about the lack of transparency and information that would improve the quality of buildings efficiency. And Lou, you've described a market that needs to mature in different ways. But I'm curious, when we think about it from a climate perspective, and both of you I know are motivated by that, what are the problems within the built environment that are most concerning to you? That's a long list. (laughs) I would point to two things. One is what keeps me up at night are really how asleep society is in many ways about the urgency of our need to mitigate climate emissions. I uh, was at an air conditioning contractors association conference in New Orleans earlier in this week, and I'm staying in an unnamed hotel uh, conference center. The rooms are for rigid. <laughs> I, I couldn't help but think about the amount of energy that was being wasted. You'd walk along the street and people, the businesses oftentimes would have their air conditioning running and their doors wide open. So you would be walking through an air conditioned sidewalk, essentially. And I'm just sort of marveling at the amount of energy that's just being used all around me in this city. And that's every city. How do we get people to wake up to the fact that we cannot keep living like this? We can't keep running our businesses like this. We can't keep falling asleep at the wheel, even with our own homes and our own communities. So that sort of broad scale societal engagement and education is is something that keeps me up at night. And I believe that the real estate community and the contracting community also are somewhat asleep at the wheel here and have a lot of impact that they could make. Because if I'm a homeowner and I'm contemplating doing home improvement activities, nine times out of 10, I'm reaching out to the real estate agent to ask, hey, is this going to improve the value of my home? Should I be doing this? How will this impact the value of my home? Agents have a really powerful role that they could play in helping homeowners understand a little bit better that there are, again, these quality of life benefits and other ways to help live a more sustainable life through thinking about their home improvements. And similarly with contractors, it's not about the box swap. It's about the energy efficiency package and how to really meet the needs of your customers and have an opportunity to grow your revenue line. So aside from developing countries wanting their own air conditioners, which is another thing that keeps me up at night, I think within our own country, we have a lot more engagement that's needed. It's not just the education, but it's the engagement with some major business sectors and with homeowners more broadly. Thanks, Cynthia. Lou, what do you see? When I first started talking about climate forever ago, I was interested in deployment of incremental, already proven solutions. And we've been very slow. And I want to get back to why we've been very slow. And I think it goes to some of what Cynthia said. And the urgency has just increased. We talk about our target of abatement between now and 2050. It's not in the next 30 years. It's The deadline is not receding. And the rate of change, the more we dither, the faster we need to move. Societies are not 
change embracing for good reasons, right? I mean, bad things can happen if you change too quickly, but there's a whole bunch of kind of well-capitalized incumbents that are afraid of change, whether it's nefarious or just habitual. People don't like change, and we need to change a lot of things very, very quickly, and we need to change the segmentation of the problem statement to cross a lot of boundaries. So what I'm afraid of is that if we don't address the broad group of stakeholders, those that are scared that they're going to get closed out of the way they used to do things, and those that could really be big winners right away if you offer the solution correctly, or those that are just afraid because it's complicated, if we don't embrace how do we motivate change and take the stakeholders who are afraid of change and make them less afraid or even incented to change if we can't go fast enough. And so what keeps me up at night is that people will just say, oh, that's scary. I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow that I did yesterday. And we can't do that. We need people to say, no, I'm going to do it differently and I'm going to be happier. I'm going to live better. I'm going to have more money. I'm going to be safer. My children are going to be happier. There's a lot of blocking and tackling around making those stakeholders comfortable that I think can't be worked too much. And I really do think one of the reasons I'm so enthusiastic about Pearl is it's directly addressing those groups, the realtors, the contractors, the OEMs, who all know how they make money today and need to learn how they're going to make money tomorrow. And Cynthia is giving them the tools to do it. And that's where the urgency is. And that's why I'm so excited about Pearl. That's great. And Lou, you have a lot of experience at the intersection of technology markets and policy and what you're describing in terms of aligning incentives and building new markets that really work for more stakeholders. That's an area where governments can have a role. So I'm curious, are there roles that you see that government needs to start playing or that is playing? And what specific policies or initiatives do you think would be most effective right now? I live just down the road from NYSERDA headquarters, and I've worked on and off NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. It was one of those things that the Carter administration spawned during the oil shock, and New York kept theirs. (laughs) The idea of being a convener, getting the stakeholders into the room together, of addressing where people's fears are and like really addressing them, not just hearing them, but saying, what can we do? How do we retrain workforce? How do we make sure that your fear of lost revenue is replaced with new opportunities? How do you cajole utilities that are inherently cost plus to start saying, hey, I want to sell less electricity, but I want it to do more things? The government has to play, I think, a very critical role in convening, listening, and then not just incenting, but insisting that you can't do that anymore. We need to not make decisions which lock in for 30 years policies that we won't meet our GHG targets. We really, really have to start saying no more gas. It was a very practical solution for a lot of reasons for a long time. But the government really has to start taking difficult positions that are going to piss some people off, and they have to figure out how to unpiss them off and get them on board. But government is required. Codes and standards end up driving an enormous amount of this. And codes and standards and government rules tend to be very lagging indicators for what the technology can do. That can't be true anymore. The government needs to be doing codes and standards leadership and then supporting training, transition, gap filling. And they are at some level. And NYSERDA is a good actor in this. Mass CEC is a good actor in this. CEC, California Energy Commission, is a good actor in this. But these are very complicated political situations, and they need cheerleading and help and encouragement to be more aggressive. 
Well, looking at a specific piece of policy that's having a big impact around electrification and the built environment is the Inflation Reduction Act. And so, Cynthia, I'm really curious about how the incentives that are in that act that are intended to benefit homeowners in accelerating the adoption of energy efficiency upgrades, how is that impacting Pearl and how will that be supportive of your business? There are two rebate programs that are specific within IRA to electrification and then whole house upgrades. One of them, they have these acronyms that they're known by. HERA is the electrification rebate program, $4.5 billion. And then the homes rebate program, $4.3 billion. That program has a couple of pathways to earning the rebates. I won't go into that now, but I will say that one really important part of the HOMES Act is that it requires a third-party certification to access the rebate. That third-party certification has to be delivered to the homeowner on behalf of the contractor. It needs to include information about what was installed, the projected energy savings, and it ultimately needs to do that in a way that can help the homeowner capture value. I'm quoting almost verbatim the legislation. If this sounds a lot like the product that we provide it's because we are IRA compliant <laughs> out the gate with the product that we provide. I suspect that there will definitely be other certification types stepping into this space. But as of right now, we would definitely count ourselves as a first mover and are very well positioned to provide the support that the states and localities are going to need in order to implement the HOMES program. And that includes understanding how contractors do business, providing them with additional software tools so that we can remove friction points that are kind of inherent in the bill and some of its requirements, irrespective of the certification. So these particular rebate programs, electrification specifically has got income requirements where you have to be below 150% of area median income to even take advantage of the rebate. But with the HOMES program, there's not a, an income requirement, but if you do fall below 150% of area median income, you can get double the rebate. So you're still going to want to know when you go to do that particular install where the homeowner falls in terms of their income level. I think it's great that we've created programs that target the types of homes and homeowners that are traditionally left behind when other people can make their own investments, can afford to make these investments. I think it's really, really, really important that we pay attention to these homes and to these homeowners on a going forward basis. And if you're going to use public dollars for anything, then dear God, please help these people. <laughs> but it's single digit percentage in terms of the total number of homes that need upgrades that will actually be addressed by this bill or this collection of programs. So the tax credits actually are quite lucrative, not as much as the rebate programs, but of course those are going to be around for a long time and they apply to anyone with tax liability. We think about the IRA's way of sort of jump-starting the improvements, but it's not a be-all, it's not an end-all. It can catalyze something, but if we don't use the money wisely and use it in a way that can help us evergreen these programs through creating this sort of contractor training so that they can provide more services, certification so we get more of this data into the MLS and can help these homeowners recoup value. There are opportunities coming out of IRA to begin to transform the market, but we have to use the funds wisely and we need to be thinking about what the end game is for the legislation and how we are moving the needle across the market so that we are accelerating the transition, not just burning through federal dollars and checking the box. 
Cynthia Liu, we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for everything today. Let's leave on a final tangible call to action for listeners that want to do more to support the transition of the built environment. What's the one thing you want to point them to do? Mine is easy. I would say go to greendoor.app and get engaged, learn more about your home, learn more about what you might do and how you can afford to do it. Thanks. Lou? Obviously, Green Door is a great route to go. I think that the general issue with all of this is make it clear to all the stakeholders you interact with, your local zoning board, your realtor, your contractor, that I'm just going to do it the way I did it yesterday is not an acceptable answer. I want better. I want you to persuade me you're going to do it better. And the more people start to expect that their customers will insist on it, the more they will start to engage in the tools that are being created here. Just insist on doing better to anyone who will listen. Cynthia Liu, thank you so much for your time today and for the great work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.